ConnectCloud. Get connected, cyber safe is our mantra. From tailored managed security solutions to our next generation cloud platform, MetCloud will drive your organization forward and help it thrive. You can keep up to date with us in all things cybersecurity by following us on Twitter at MetCloud underscore com. We're also on LinkedIn and YouTube. You can find the links to our social media pages and blogs via our website, metcloud.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Vanguard Podcast, everyone. And today's guest is Mark Dowds, who is a serial investor and entrepreneur. Mark has an established track record in bringing velocity to high-growth early-stage companies and is a key member of the ecosystem development team and assists with Anthemist's partnerships with financial services incumbents and technology companies worldwide. In 2012, Mark co-founded the world's first on-demand insurance platform and was accountable for revenue, strategy and growth as the company expanded internationally. In two decades, Mark's helped dozens of ventures get off the ground through his Canadian and Irish-based incubators. Mark is also involved in venture capital company that were early seed investors in Uber and Twilio. Mark is the chairman of Tech Start Ventures, which helps entrepreneurs build successful technology businesses from the ground up in Northern Ireland and Scotland, and also the chairman of Automated Intelligence and an advisor to several other tech companies. Mark, welcome to the Vanguard podcast and thanks for joining me. Scott, it's my pleasure. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. And, and where do we find you today? Um, you're finding me in the Citizen M Hotel in Copenhagen. What a lovely city it is too. Oh, it's awesome. I spent yesterday with a friend in a kayak floating around from sort of, you know, river to river in the midst of it and uh, eating some good food. So, yeah, awesome city. I'm not jealous at all. Not jealous at all. <laughs> Mark, we have got um, uh, a lot of stuff to go through and 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 very much a, a serial entrepreneur and illustrious career. I'd love for you to tell me uh, where it all started where where your career has taken you because you've lived and moved around a lot throughout your career um, and all the way up to where we are now. Yeah, perfect. Um, the uh, the entrepreneurial part of me, Scott, has, has basically been in my family genes. Um, it was my, gra- my granddad was an entrepreneur, my dad was an entrepreneur. Uh, so I grew up sort of thinking that was normal. Uh, so the concept of going to school you know, doing great at your exams in the hope that you get a fantastic job at the end just wasn't in, you know, it wasn't in my psyche at all. So as a result yeah. of that, you know, I, you know, I, I was more in love with business and books. So I got expelled from school, um, spent more time trying working for my dad, you know, cause he paid me well, like, why would I go to school? And, you know, uh, when you're getting paid, <laughs> so, Absolutely. Um, so I ended up learning that it was a very traditional business. My dad's, but my dad had several businesses actually. Um, he, he, well, he had one, his main business was in animal feeds, pet foods, all of that sort of stuff. So a very traditional Irish business. Um, yep. but he also on, he, my dad was also his passion, and life and interest was clay pigeon shooting. So my dad also owned a gun shop. It's always a great, a great thing to say is that, you know, my dad owned a gun shop in Belfast. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. So, so, so that one's always a winner. It raises the odd eyebrow, but, uh, but yeah, so from early days, you know, basically when I was 17 years old, my dad bought me 
uh, a briefcase, a suit, and a car, and sent me on the road. And so I was sort of thrown out of the nest, uh, learned, um, basically learned how to sell. Uh, and it was uh, you know, just sort of trial and error. But ultimately, I, once I got the hang of it, I did really well at it, exceeding uh, sort of growing, growing my dad's company. And uh, I just sort of kept on that, on that vein. Um, so, so from early days, I learned how to sell. My dad taught me all about business. And I was a natural entrepreneur because I was risk toward. Uh, I didn't really think about the future much. I didn't really care about money. Um, I was okay, and I knew how to make it. Uh, so I just uh, cracked on and did my own thing. Um, I took a stint uh, to go to university. Uh, believe it or not, I I, I stepped out of the family business um, and then uh, stepped back. Basically, then I ended up setting up a a a bridged version. Long story cut short, um, had a opportunity to uh, go to Canada. First season in Canada was. Went out to be to work at a sports resort. You know, had a love of water skiing and then doing a little bit of uh, water ski instruction and so on. Uh, did did a, did a bit of that. Got a uh, fell in love with Canada. Ended up moving to Vancouver, and I set up a center with one of my friends. It was called Fresh Initiatives, and it was to help uh, sort of students, younger people, or you know, help basically help them to start their own careers. And so it was a bit of a benevolent type of a thing but what what ian and i didn't realize at the time was that everybody's ideas were all tech and so we set up the center to help say young people work on their on developmental stuff and it ended up being we ended up creating canada's first tech accelerator program uh, or tech incubator uh so we completely stumbled into it but it was like we had taken over this little warehouse and before we knew it there was like 30 desks filled with people and we're buying them computers so that was sort of the beginning of learning what angel investing is it was like buy, buying stuff for all these people setting up their companies learning how to structure them learning how to find them capital and so on so we grew uh so that's, that's really how i ended up uh getting much more into the tech side of things always had a passion for it at school that was the about the only thing i cared about i loved computer games programming and that was uh what it took as a bit of a, a hobby and a passion. So on the on the back of what I've done, I did in Vancouver to set up another company with a friend called uh, Band of Coders. It was specialized actually in games development. Um, and we grew that to um, I think roughly 125, 130 people. Um, and so it was a pretty successful company um, over the years in that. But that's uh, through me again, really further even deeper in, into tech because ultimately the entire team were were engineers so learned how to work with engineers how to lead on how to lead them um and how to build a uh sort of a, a disparate company because we were all we were full-time remote for the most of it yeah, and sure. then we ended yeah we ended up putting up hubs in buenos aires and toronto and uh, atlanta different places so um so I ended up, uh, I ended up selling that company and then moving on and uh, ended up working with, uh, uh, I did a company called Brain Park, which was Slack before its time, um, uh, but unfortunately well too before its time, <laughs> I mean years before its time. So the when starting that company, I had a vision of what collaboration would be like, what engagement employees were like. So I had this 
you know, I saw the future for sure. The problem is, is that when you're building something for the future, it's very hard to sell it in the present. Um, and so the, at that time, the thing I did not ask when starting the company was, is there a line item in the budget of a corporation for collaboration software? The answer to that was no. Um, it was before its time. So I was selling against email, trying to convince people that having a history and a record and searchable and all this, you know, as a, you know, corporate um, sort of uh, knowledge base. Uh, it was just, uh, as I say, ahead of its time. So that one, that one failed. I learned a ton of lessons about what I would not do again, which we can probably dig into at some point. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, and then went on with uh, uh, another friend. Uh, we uh, was a co-founder of uh, another company called Service Cloud. I'd moved to San Francisco at this point, and we ended up selling that company to Salesforce.com. Uh, Took a, I was planning to take a break, and uh, I, I was going to take six months off. And I think it was literally the next day, one of my friends, early investors, uh, took me for took me for coffee. His name's Scott Walchek, and he had this idea about you. Basically, at that time, it was Mark. Imagine if we could create the world's largest database about things that people own. You know, so like map the ownership network and uh, we had this thought about we had data on things how could we leverage that for you know against uh, borrowing um insurance all these different areas that all this data that that was out there but not, no one had ever created so we set up a company called trove and uh, trov.com and it ended up evolving into being one of the very earliest sort of pioneers of the insure tech movement um, we we referred to initially or earlier days as episodic insurance, where you could insure anything that you had for any period of time, you know, without any penalty. So, if you, I as an example, I had a, uh, I used to, I still do a lot of like endurance uh, bicycle riding. I was training for Ironman, had an accident, uh, got hit by a car, uh, oh, wow. everything. Yeah, it was a pretty bad. It was pretty nasty. Oh. So the the reconstructive surgery um, they didn't make me any any better looking, Scott. You know, <laughs> but it's uh, but you know all of that was paid by insurance. So health insurance, all that stuff was covered. My clothes that I was wearing was covered, uh, but my bike wasn't um, because right. the the insurance company said, well, and bikes are covered when they're hanging in your garage, and you're thinking, well, that's pretty useless, you know. So the idea being is like things like that, you know, if you're if you want to get your bike insured for a bike ride or going on holiday with your skis or all, so that was the whole idea. Um, we ended up sort of partnering in with companies like uh, Google. We we did the uh, we did Waymo's insurance for uh, for their driverless cars. Oh, well, yeah, did, yeah, yeah. Like when someone got into a car, messy would be sort of that robot for lack of a better term would send a message to our servers to say turn on you know like liability insurance and when they get out turn it off so the idea being is then it would it would grow the insurance would be paid as you go really in that way so that's yep. so we ended up pioneering in that and uh, and then we ended up selling that to uh travelers insurance yep uh, big u.s corporation then, yeah 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 they're pretty big internationally um 
much bigger internationally than I realized. Uh, but yeah, uh, they've uh, so it's uh, had the opportunity at, uh, that during that time to then shift over to uh, to what was our biggest shareholder at the time uh, to a company called Anthemis. They're a, a venture capital company. So moved over, worked and worked for them for a season. Um, so it was nice to be on the other side of the fence. That was my sort of third time being a bit of a VC and uh, I really enjoyed it. So really rolled roll the sleeves up, uh, learned what it means to raise capital in that type of environment, uh, which is very different than when you're raising it for your own startup. Uh, but learned a ton, fantastic people. And, uh, and then um, I was uh, approached by friends of mine at Ernst & Young at EY. Uh, a few years ago, I was on their Entrepreneur of the Year program, which was absolutely stellar. And they came to me and they they asked me if I would do a favor for them. Is that they wanted they were working with a firm in the uh, in the clothing or fashion industry, and they wanted to have a VC stroke as tech entrepreneurs view on where the industry was going, and so they wanted someone that. Uh, didn't necessarily know anything about the industry, but knew more about tech and, and capital. Uh, so jumped in on this and did this little research project. And uh, uh, you know, I was I didn't realize, got how ignorant that I was about that industry. Like I was so ignorant that I had believed that t-shirts were made by machines. You know, I didn't realize that everything we wear is being stitched together by a, by a person. So I'd never, I'd never thought about, you know, if I buy a, you know, if I go to, you know, the supermarket and I buy like a five quid t-shirt, um, I never, I never stopped to think about who makes that and how can they make that for so cheap to, for a supermarket to get a margin on it um, and sell at that volume. I also didn't realize uh, how polluting that industry was in the sense of that the vast majority of all of, of things created you know, end up getting thrown away at some point. Um, the thrown away can be like you stick it on a bag and you give it to charity. The charity, for the most part, can't sell all the stuff, so it then gets bailed out the back door and send the sent sent to Ghana or some other country to pollute. Um, and so I hadn't realized the slavery footprint, the pollutant, the high thirsty of a industry it was so if you're making you know, like whether it's jeans or cotton t-shirts the amount of chemicals that are used the amount of for the most part and for the amount of water that's sucked out of the earth from this and then also for the dyes and what's poured back into the earth um and then i got so i got so obsessed with this i couldn't stop reading i was i was watching i was listening to podcasts and watching interviews and i just could not put this down um to the point where it just moved me to the part where I go and I said I was so disgusted by what I read and saw. I thought I can't sit back here and earn a nice salary and you know being you know uh, and you know while I know this happens. Um, so uh, so I basically uh, told work that I wanted to step up and do another one, and uh, I moved over to become a venture partner with Optimus, which I still am today, which I get to serve and help where I can. But I step, stepped into full-time starting a, this company today called Responsible. I first person that called was another good Australian buddy. Um, and uh, uh, 
which so his name's Mitch Doust and Mitch and I he's a he was a senior accountant by trade but ultimately ended up more strategy M and A and um and so he worked with me in the last company we worked so well together we sort of dreamt about some getting the band back together um and in the future of which we did so there's a well, there's a bunch of us that all worked together before have all come together and love that as a part part of the core team and we lo- we love working together we know how to work together and it gave us a bit of a head start because we weren't trying to think about what's our culture all the different stuff we knew what we wanted to build who we wanted to hire and uh got it going so we started um the company really got going and uh the first basically jan beginning of january 21 so whatever that is now it's up like 19 months or something yeah yeah uh, only for, only in the middle of the world's worst pandemic mm, <laughs> totally i was like yeah. it, so like literally whenever we started the company the major other than like say mitch luke taylor they're like there's a few folks that got together um, I knew a whole bunch of the people because a bunch of them had worked for me before, but they had never knew each other. And so, yeah, we, so we started we started in the middle of a pandemic, um, didn't know each other. Our brainstorming, our product creation, all was done on like Miro boards and Zoom, and uh, it was uh, yeah. There's another first was uh, start start starting a company, raising the capital, building the team, and you know, and none of us had ever met, you know, really. So it's a uh, it was a goodie. Yeah, so we were, um, so we, they, what most people actually don't know whenever we started the company is that what we wanted to do is create our own brand um, of clothing, which was going to be all natural materials, no plastics. And, uh, and, uh, and as we, but the, the uniqueness was, is that we were going to create these beautiful products, um, but have them in a, you know, have a different type of a finance model around them. So we were thinking maybe it's going to be like a leasing type model or a rental model, longer term rental. The idea being is that we as the company would become accountable and take responsibility for what we were manufacturing so that we would keep it out of landfills. We would make it from materials that could be recycled effectively. We would make it for longevity so that they could have a second life. So if you look at the the little logo and responsible, it used to be like, you know, resell, reuse, recycle. There's three R's, and then we turned them into the little heads. And the idea being, we're passing on one legacy to the next generation and to the next. So that's sort of where that word sort of mark came from. Um, and uh, so we got about six months down the line, and I remember having a conversation uh, with Mark Rabo who. Uh, was running our product and engineering, and and I said, and could you grab us a Shopify plugin to basically drive this what we were calling a buyback program? We did a lot of market testing, and we realized that the market, for the most part, there's a certain demographic already for rental and leasing and that, but it was smaller. What we realized is that people want to still physically feel like they own something. But what we did is we created this model called a buyback, which we have an incentive. So you you know that uh, you could see the residual value, the trade-in value of that product when you're buying it. Yep. So the idea, the idea being is if you know you're buying something for four hundred quid, and you can trade it back in for a hundred or hundred and twenty in a future date, you realize psychologically you go, well, hey, that's not as expensive as what it, you know, you know, it's yeah. only maybe you know, 
280 rather than 400. Yep. Um, and also people then care for the product for longer because they know it has has value. So just like we would do with a you know a leasing like car that we lease. Like a car, it. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. we pretty much borrowed from the, the, the automotive model. And um, and so we started doing that, but then we realized that that plugin didn't exist on Shopify. And then we realized it didn't exist on Magento or, or any of the shopping platforms. And that was a big aha moment where we went, holy crap, I feel like we could have way more influence and impact in the world if we didn't create our own brand, but we created the technology to power this circular model for other brands. And so that's exactly what we did. So we made a pivot, you know, six months into the company, which was a scary moment, uh, you know, because I've got Always, built, yeah. my team, <laughs> built my team, you know, I've got the board, I've got a few early investors. And then I came, I came back to them going, I've seen a, I've seen a bigger opportunity. <laughs> the investors were massively supportive, as were the board. It scared the life out of the team, but they all jumped in with it both with both feet, and we made the we made the change to ultimately become a tech and logistics company that would power basically give the technology and the solution to fashion brands internationally, so that they could have a genuinely more responsible business, so that they could comply with Sustainable Development Goal Twelve, which is about responsible consumption and production, and yeah. uh, so we could give them the solution for end of life. We could give them the solution for resale and we would help them to participate in, in the financial benefit of all of that. So give them control is really off the secondary market, which today is outstripping the growth of, uh, of fast fashion or anything. The fastest growing market in fashion is, sec- is secondhand. Uh, what we realized was that. is that, yeah, it's, it's by, uh, by a long stretch. It's a, and one of the things we realized is that there was there's asset trading platforms like for sneakers and certain clothing, uh, but it's mostly for things that would be still in a box and maybe still have a tag on it. You know, people who are prospectively buying something, knowing that it's going to have value in the in the secondary market. Like so, that's just traded on platforms like Goat and StockX and so on. So that's that's one world. But what I didn't really see was someone who was able to work with the brand with the brands to premiumize the secondary market so it didn't feel like thrift so so it's not about like shoving everything in their bag and you know photographs that look like look awful but rather working with a brand and saying like we'll become a managed service if we work with a brand that has enough margin and premium we can then receive the uh, basically those products back for them. We can make sure they're managed well, the photography's done professionally and demand and help the the brand ultimately demand a very you know, a substantial price in the secondary market, like something like 70% of what the original price was. Wow, that's because they, yeah, so so we ended up then setting up um premium brands and and you know and basically for, for them helping them take control of their secondary market, giving them a, a responsible solution for the long haul and ultimately benefiting their customers that they can then market and say, you know, spring season 22's here, you know, yeah. you know uh, trade in last year's. And so the products then come back, they have this loyalty program then, their customers can stay loyal to the brand without having to continuously fill their wardrobes with you know with more clutter and more stuff 
if data had a sound, it could be this. The sound of important and sensitive information leaking out of your business. MedCloud. Get connected. Cyber safe. So there's a demographic that you would call a hype beast that stays on trend. They know what's coming. They know what to wear. They want to be the pioneers and the fashionistas. But then there's a whole other group behind them that maybe won't pay the premium rate, but are willing to pay 50% or 70% off those products. So they might they mightn't pay 300 or 400 quid, but they maybe pay 250. And they're and they're okay with wearing a really cool brand uh, from last season because, in fact, they don't really know. They just see the brand, um, and uh, that's what they aspire. So in some ways, it's like the, again, like the secondary car market. You know, whenever I was younger, you would have predominantly went to secondhand car dealer. Today, if you want to buy Ford, you go to Trust Ford, or if you want to go buy BMW, you typically go to the brand, um, and they control that market. That's right. Uh, because it's about 40 times bigger than the primary. Same is true in, in the in the fashion industry. Um, but that is and and it's the environmental movement that's beginning to push the brands and the buyers or the you know basically the people who buy their products uh, in that direction. So we're so we're premiumizing the secondary market. So when you buy a product that's come through a responsible process. It feels like new, smells like new, you know, it looks like new. So I've got the, it's not like going, you know, through a thrift shop, you know, with all the bad smells and all the stuff it gives you, you get a premium, <laughs> yeah. ex- you get a premium experience uh, with great yep. brands. So, so that's really what we've been doing. We've been, yeah. our, our job is acquire brands, which ultimately gives us products. And then we trade those on different platforms. It's um it, it sounds great and and for any of the listeners out there that want to want to take a look responsible.us is the is the website right yeah that's the website yeah, yeah. we're uh, it's yeah so that's uh I wish I could talk about all the brands that we have signed up but there's uh uh we we have you know pioneering brand in the UK led by Christopher Rayburn his named after his last name Rayburn yeah. um Coda Chill it's a French accessories brand. Uh, that uh, we recently launched with, and uh, we've got Kings of Indigo and uh, another denim brand, you know, Sustainable Denim and, and Kuichi, and again, another Sustainable Denim brand. And we've about we've got a ton more to announce over the coming months uh, that Fantastic. we've started to work with that we're really excited about. Great. I'm going to take you on a on a a little bit of a, a question now. Um, and, and and as I said, if people want to go and have a look at the brand, it's responsible.us. Go go on the website and have a look. I want to take you back a couple of comments you made through the on the overview um, or, or or the career path. And one of the things that really stands out, Mark, is is the every business that you've started, you've always mentioned that you've started it with a friend. How important is that? Yeah. For me, it's important. Uh, yep. I think 
It doesn't need to be. I suppose it doesn't need to be with a friend. Um, but although, I mean, I'm I'm a little bit different with this one, Scott. It's a, it's a very good question, by the way, because mm-hmm. um, you sort of get to the heart of me a bit because I'm very okay and comfortable with working with friends and yep. hiring my friends uh, because what I've also realized is that I get very attached to the people that I work with. Yep. So I end up becoming mates with them anyway. So yep. whether you were mates before or mates afterwards, um, it's gonna that's naturally going to happen. So the people, one of my sort of hiring things is that I want to know if I get stuck with this person in a in an airport or in a city yes. for a weekend, would yes. I have fun? Yep. You know? Yep. And so I, that's the sort of people. It's one of the questions I ask in my own head when I'm doing any interviews. Uh, so. Uh, having a co-founder um, for me is uh, I I don't I don't think it's a crutch thing for me. It's an appreciation that I don't want to do it alone yeah. uh, because being a I've coached and supported many single founders and yep. it's a lonely lonely path. Absolutely, not to have, and it's it's very different. You can sort of think that it's going to be good. well you can talk to one of your executive or your leadership and that was all very helpful and important but there's something different when it's a co-founder when they own a decent chunk of the company and they genuinely share the burden with you absolutely uh, that because then i've got someone to think things through someone whom i trust i just went on my i just went on a holiday for a couple of weeks and I was able to hand the helm basically over to over to Mitch, yep. and was able to go away and genuinely not worry about work. Yeah. Um, or if I was worrying about it, it wasn't worrying about what Mitch is doing or what's. They'd be worrying about other problems I've got to solve. But I've um, having someone who shares the load with you is, I I think I guess it's worth gold. And it's some people don't like giving away a chunk of the company. It's worth every every bit to have somebody who just who you journey with. Um, yeah. The other thing is, is that with what I've got with Mitch is that I chose a, I chose Mitch because of his personality and skill sets. The two of us really get on well together. We're both low drama, low management. Yeah. Um, so, which, you know, which is brilliant. Um, I also don't feel like I've got a, micromanage him or him me it's yep. like we just get on we just get on with our jobs but we're very very different skill sets so i'm like the eternal optimist i'll look into yep. the future and i'll and i'll and i'll see you know i'll see great things he's like the eternal pessimist like he runs negative scenarios on everything so as i'm looking you know, at the the hopeful future, he's analyzing the negative and the downside, and those two things are essential um, yeah. because we're he's able to counterbalance the some of, some of the thinking that I would have because I would have like let's go harder, let's push, go faster, and he'll be a lot, a lot more measured and hold me back in certain ways. Yeah, he's also he's also an accountant by trade. And so he's an absolute genius when it comes to the management of the finance and the numbers. I mean, I can read the spreadsheets. I mean, I do care about these things, but of course. it's not it's not my strength. Um, I'm 
you know, if you're asking me to create Excel spreadsheets, you'll be here the next, you know, next Tuesday, um, cutting and yeah, pasting. Yeah, no, I understand. No, I understand. <laughs> I'm more creative. It, it it makes perfect sense to me because I actually get told off sometimes that that um, um, I get really close to my my teams, you know, and I, I thought, mm-hmm. well, I spend most of my my week with those people. I want to enjoy the people I work with, and and I use the layover the layover. Um, uh, scenario a lot as well you know if i get stuck if i get stuck at an airport for a few hours you know do i want to spend time having a beer with this guy or or girl and or or are they just not compatible you know are they are they mm-hmm. are they someone that after 15 minutes i'm going to get bored with um i like meeting new people i like having conversations with people and therefore i like working with people who are similar so that so resonates with me um, and there's many HR managers I'm sure that have told me off for many, many times that I've, I've employed the wrong person because, you know, they haven't got this skill set or that skill set. Well, that's, that's rubbish as far as I'm concerned. If they're people I want to work with, they're going to work with me and we're going to skill each other up and, and, and compliment each other. Simple as that. Get on with it. You know, um, yeah, it's fundamental. Yeah. And I think if you, if, as long as you know, you can have the difficult conversation and know how to navigate that. And that's something yeah. I got trained in. I've got coached in over the years and I, I know how to manage conflict um, effectively. Yeah. I know I, I don't, I don't, I don't fear it. Uh, if something's not right or not working well, I'm very okay to lean into that conversation and to deal with something. Yeah. And so as a result, I've been able to navigate you know, hiring, firing, doing different stuff with friends and so on, and still maintain strong relationships uh, with everyone. So, yeah, I think it's uh, as long as you're okay with not avoiding the tough conversation because of someone you've known for a long time. Yeah, of course. Then it's all right. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that's a that's a really good point. Um, one of the things you mentioned also earlier on, um, and it also seems to be quite common for. I'll say serial entrepreneurs, but you know people that have been successful and 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 started businesses. But that's having a a, a role model, and, and and predominantly the role models are either grandparents or parents. And um, listeners to the podcast know that I had that with my dad um, before he passed away, and um, many 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 of the guests have, have have said the same thing. It sounds like that that you know without your father and the, and the guidance and the, to be fair, the briefcase, the car and the suit is a lot of confidence in a young fella to say, right, get out there and go. Do you think um, having your father's, um, well, he's obviously given you the responsibility and, and the faith in going out there and being successful. Do you think that's helped you be successful by having the faith that your dad's put into you? And also there's a two, there's a double barrel question here. And the other thing too is you sound like you've had the, the sales skill set from an early age. Do you think that was learnt or do you think that's intrinsic to you as well? Um, having my dad believe in me, and teach me the hard way definitely has made me uh, who I am today. I mean, he had this thing that he would do. He would give me a task. This is even more from us like 11 years old. He'd give me a task. Yeah. He wouldn't tell me how to do it. You know, and this could be like really technical stuff, like using lathes and things, you know. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, 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 I'd go and try it, and then he would come in, he'd look at it, he'd just, he'd just shake his head and go, never give a boy a man's job. Yeah. Um, he, he would take over, he would do it. And, but ultimately what he did is he sort of then modeled. And so I learned very quickly to 
learn once. So if I could watch my dad, see how he did it, then I, I just learned how to copy that. Yep. So that part gave me that sort of craving for learning um, and, uh, and, to, and to master things. So I think definitely that has helped. When it, when it, uh, my dad then also for the grace that he had, there was a, I remember putting a massive deal together for the company and I lost a lot of money by, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was like, you know, this was distributor. I thought it was the best deal ever, um, put it together. And it wasn't until like, I think three or four invoices weren't paid and realized, and then this, this company went bankrupt. So we lost, as a business, we lost a ton of money right. from me putting that deal together. And I remember like walking into my dad's office, putting the car keys on the table and said, Dad, I don't, I don't deserve this. You know, you can take that away. Um, and he, uh, my dad says, pick up the keys. Um, and he said, you're not getting away with this. He said, he looked at, he looked at me, he said, um, what have you learned? I said, don't put all your eggs in one basket. He said, okay, good. Go have another crack then. Um, yeah. And so... They just kept sending me out to go for more. So that gave me a belief that it's okay to fail. And yep. probably the biggest mantra I have and have learned through that season is that failure is only feedback. Um, and so I've learned that the more times I do it, the the more often I fail, the stronger and better that I get. And it grows. My, my confidence now grows uh, through that rather than wins. Um, so that was the... Then you asked me a second question. The other, there was a double barrel there. That was it the was first one. What was the second about, one? The, the second one was all about sales and your ability to sell. And, and do you think it was learnt or do you think it's intrinsic within you or is it a bit of both? No, 100%, 100% learnt. Um, yep. I, <laughs> well, I learnt the, like retail with my dad when I was younger and I became good at that. But then when I went out on the road, literally when my dad gave me the briefcase and sent me, he sent me to this area in West Belfast which was, um, you know, I grew up in East Belfast. And for, the, for those of you who are listening that don't know the difference, when the, the two basically divided parts of the, of the Northern Ireland community or mm-hmm. in Belfast anyway. And so I ended up on the other side of the tracks, you know, selling. And I remember walking into this uh, store and this lady eventually said to me, said, look, son, you're not going to sell much unless you talk. Um, because I was so quiet. I was so shy, didn't know what to do. And eventually I, I said to this lady, I said, well, look, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you teach me how to sell to you? And she brought me under her wing. And uh, and I ended up, I think, even the first day going out with more sales than we had before. So I used that, that as a tactic. I would just go into folks and go, look, don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me sell to you and help me how to run this? And people just took me under their wing and I ended up, then eventually selling more than the other salespeople and becoming made the sales manager. I love and, that. And um, so it was, yeah, it was, so it, it, and I've also developed, I went and did training in NLP, neurolinguistic programming and uh, yep. bioenergetics and other training. So to, to learn how to read people and to know how to position to be, uh, so I've, I've really have worked hard at the art um, and I, but today I absolutely love the sale. I love the clothes, you know, it's, uh, so what, what wasn't natural to me back then is very much natural to me today. I'm not a guy that'll 
that just will sit at a desk all day. But I, mm-hmm. I'm able to, I'm able to work a room, and if I and if I make a friend and I get someone in the industry, I'm honest and trustworthy to the point where then I know that they'll help me. So yep. and I've leveraged that throughout the years. Uh, so my way of selling is uh, is is extremely different than the average. You know what will be a salesperson, yeah, um, yeah. who who just dials for dollars all day. Uh, yep. Not that I'm a, yep. uh, not that I avoid that either. Absolutely, and 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 there's roles for that too, right? So, and I'm I'm not that dissimilar to you. You know, I I, I love the deal. You know, now I'm managing a team. It's you, you're not at the front line as much as you used to be, but um, there's still a hell of a rush when you do. Um, and and, totally. and I absolutely I absolutely agree with that. And I you know reading people is the biggest biggest thing. You know, for me it it was all about listening. You know, I, I was a pretty cocky yep. fella and, and, you know, same with my cricket. I was always, you know, very, very confident. Um, but there's a difference between confident and arrogance, you know. I've said this before, confidence, you're actually confident in what you're doing, but you're still prepared to listen. Arrogance is all one way. It's all out. Yeah. You know, and, and, yep. and, that's, and that's something I try and, you know, teach, not teach, but, you know, show that kids or, or you know, my, my kids or others or, or people within the team. Really love that. Um, we're coming up to the end of our time, Mark, and, and you know, um, I really appreciate you going going so deep into into how you got here and where you are and stuff. I guess one of the things, one of the final questions I want to ask before we delve deeper into the, the final three that we, we go at the end of the podcast is um, – there's so many companies out there looking for VC funding or angel investing or, you know, a little bit of money to help kick them off. As a mm-hmm. as a, a former VC or, you know, let's say you're still a VC, you've still got that hat, I'm sure, and, and, and you know, having set up so many high-growth companies and, and stuff, are there, are there two or three key elements to a business that as a VC or a, or a financier you look for um, that 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 piques your interest in a company and most likely leads down to the path of due diligence and and perhaps investment. Yeah, and this, so if I talk specifically to the people that you say like have an early idea, so like you're a pre-seed company or you're just you know you're at the point of just starting that yep. you're going out to sell the, you're going out to sell the dream, so you're pre-revenue. You've got that. The number one thing at that point is. It's really, it's really about the personality. Are you agile enough to be able to change? Are you, you know, are you ballsy enough to make a call if it needs to? Because year one and two of a of most startups, there are changes that need to be made and there are calls that need to be made. So yeah. that will be one. Second thing is, is do you know how to attract people? Like who's around you? Have you got a have you been able to pull in a really strong advisory? Who's your board? You know, who's your co-founder? Because in some ways it's easier to attract capital than others people so it's what yep. so if you look if you look for someone who is dynamic enough to be able to attract a great bunch of people around them then it makes a a heck of a difference so for i would sure. say obviously to say that there's an assumption that the the idea is decent that there's a market opportunity big enough but at the really core you want to look and say can i trust this person are they honest are they a hustler and can they attract good people? Trust, honest, and attract. I love it. I think that's really good. Mark, thank you for that. I think, you know, there's so many good businesses out there at the moment, and and a lot of them just don't know where to look for help 
financing, yeah. um, even just a trusted, you know, a trusted, not advisor because I, I don't like that term, trusted advisor, but, um, you know, someone that they can actually be mentored by or just have a conversation with. You know, I know a couple of companies in, in the cybersecurity space that they'll give me a call and say, oh, do you mind if I pick your brain for half an hour about going through channels? And so I'm more than happy to speak to people and help them out because you know what? You pay it forward, don't you? And, and at some point they're going to say, oh, thank you for that, Scott, or they're going to introduce you to someone or whatever. But most importantly, you're going to see their business succeed, hopefully see their business succeed. And there's no better feeling than helping someone succeed, in my opinion. So I I, I really love that, Mark, and, and, and it's a really, really good overview. And thank you for, for sharing the story, um, you know, not only from um, where you're going from a business perspective, but, you know, some of those key lessons that you've learned and trust, honesty, and the ability to attract good people for any business owner out there should be three pillars of going out and and and, um, and forming their business, in my opinion. So thanks for sharing that, Mark. Appreciate it. We're going to, I want to go into the quick fire three, if I may. Um, tell us what you've got at the top of your head. Um and the first one I want to ask you is who would play you in a movie about your life and why? Bruce Willis. Oh, Bruce I Willis for that. sure. Love that. Because he's uh, he's also follically challenged and he's a lot better looking. So <laughs> if I have a if there was a movie to be made, I'd like to have somebody extremely good looking uh, uh, that is acting as me. That would be uh, that would be plus he's a plus he's a legend. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. At least you're not, uh, you know, I, I think people say Danny DeVito would play me, so that's not that's not uh, painting a good picture, is it? <laughs> um, uh, but uh, Bruce Willis is definitely, you know, Die Hard, one of the, one of the greatest franchises ever. Uh, so absolutely great shout. Love that one. Is there one accomplishment that you're most proud of in your career? In my career specifically, I say my biggest accomplishment would be my, my kids. Um, but in my career, probably just that I that I haven't given up. Uh, oh, I'd say yeah. that would be the big, the biggest piece for me is that even if I failed or even I get a little bit older, I've still got it in me. Um, I still have the energy. I still care enough about the world and uh, to to keep going. So it's not about the finances. It's about making change and solving problems. So I think yeah. just having that in me just it's. Uh, it keeps me alive too. Love that. Well, you're still a young fella, anyway, right? You've just been you've just oh, been yeah. kayaking around Copenhagen, so uh, <laughs> you know, it puts my it puts my effort yesterday on Alpter's Wift to to shame. But anyway, <laughs> I still did it, so that's good. Um, what my, finally finally the the last question for for the uh, for the quick fire three mark before we we shut down. But uh, what does a perfect Saturday look like for you, or Saturday as I should say, not Saturday like we say in Australia? Yeah, Saturday, perfect Saturday for me is up early on a mountain bike. Uh, then, you know, taking you know taking my Ducati and riding down to the dock to get on a sailboat to sail for the afternoon. Uh, only to come back, have a few brews with uh, with some of my friends, and and a good laugh. Like I mean, that is the ultimate perfect Saturday for me unless it's in the winter, which would include a, a little bit of skiing if possible. There you go. There you go. So I'll see you Saturday but, then, shall I? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so any, basically get me into nature, 
threw me on a boat, threw me on a bike, and I am the happiest man alive. I love that. Uh, the Up early, check. Mountain bike, check. Except I've got a flat at the moment. Um, sailing, haven't done it. Beers and a laugh. What? Absolutely. Yeah, never done sailing. Never, ever done sailing. Um, can you believe that? Um Crazy. Beers and a laugh at the end. I don't think there's any anything better. Beer, wine, and and a laugh at the end of a day is is fantastic. It's it's how I want to finish my Saturday afternoon. That's for sure. Um, Mark, all I've got to say is thank you. Um, I have just really really enjoyed the story, and um, I, I think anyone out there listening to 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 what you've achieved and and also. What what I got most out of the conversation is just your passion for it, just your passion for not only life but you know the business you're growing and and, and the people that you're doing it with. I think it's it's infectious. It's absolutely infectious. I, I loved listening to every moment of it. So so thank you for that. Um, to close off, I just want to wish you and 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 uh, responsible all the very best going into uh, 2022. I know we're half, well, almost three quarters of the way through it now, but um, I'm sure it's going from strength to strength. If, uh, you know, with the announcements coming out with new brands that are joining you and so forth, I think it's uh, it's something to look forward to. So, Mark, all the very best. Enjoy yourself. Travel safe in Copenhagen. And uh, I hope that one day we can catch up and have a beer very, very soon. That'll be fantastic, Scott. Thank you. Uh, it's been absolutely awesome. It's been a pleasure Great to stuff. spend this time with you. Thanks very much, mate. All the best. Thanks. I loved hearing about Mark's journey and how his entrepreneurial grandfather and father were the catalyst of his business career and the inspiration he needed to succeed. The other element to his success, according to Mark, is the ability of employing people he knows and friends into the businesses, which can be great or controversial at times, but he's certainly a massive fan. Like a lot of people we speak to, Mark says it's important to review the businesses and learn to pivot to suit the market. And don't be scared to do so. Not only that, a lot of entrepreneurs are scared to give away equity. But he says it's the equity that attracts and retains the best talent, gives them a share in the success and worth every percent to produce the best business and the value for the company. Finally, Mark's three tips for attracting a VC to invest in your business is your personality and your ability to be agile and pivot to suit the market or opportunity. Can you attract the right people to build your business as planned? And finally, does the VC trust you and believe in you, your passion and your business? Thanks, Mark, for speaking to me today. And remember, everyone, take care, stay safe and keep on innovating.